I just remember bodies everywhere, like limp bodies, people pulling bodies out of the crowd. Um, the minute Travis came out, I, I went with a friend and I turned around and looked for him. He was gone. I'll never forget the look of terror on people's faces. I, that's the thing that sticks with me the most. I just literally thought I was going to die. I was like, I never thought that going to uh, entertainment would turn out to be such a disaster. Yeah, those are uh, just some of the voices of the survivors speaking out about the Astroworld tragedy of what they saw, what they escaped, uh, fully knowing that those around them were being trampled, if not uh, all out killed in that moment. So they are the lucky ones. Many were not. And that would include the young nine-year-old Dallas boy who went to the show, sat on his dad's shoulder, probably enjoying the most exciting time of his life. And then the crowd surged forward, throwing a little Ezra Blount into the crowd where he was trampled and left for dead. And sadly, he died over the weekend, bringing the death toll now to 10. He had been placed into a medically induced coma. He was literally crushed. You know, he was kicked, he was trampled with uh, his brain damage, kidneys damage, liver damage. And you only have to imagine what his last moments had to have been like. And I think that's what really kind of punches you in the gut here. I want to bring Alex Hilliard into this conversation. He is a personal injury attorney with Hilliard Martinez Gonzalez. And uh, Alex, your firm is handling 93 suits uh, launched on behalf of 200 plaintiffs and Ezra's case is just one of them. I thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. When I think as a mom uh, to an eight-year-old boy, uh, and I think of what those last moments must have been like, not just uh, for the father, um, but but for little Ezra, you know, it's hard to imagine what what that ha- would have been like for him. It's something that no parent should ever have to go through, as everybody can naturally understand the family right now is is in deep grief and and they have requested their privacy which is something that is obviously just as understandable given what happened and and what they're having to live with uh um it's something that i as a lawyer you're rarely at a loss for words about yeah, I mean, to have to make that ultimate decision of, of, of pulling the plug, um, which you know will end uh, your child's life, is not something that I think it, it would be your every parent's worst nightmare. And so his case is just one of those that you represent. If I'm correct, it's a $1 million lawsuit, which doesn't actually seem all that high. Um, but his headline, um, you know, is one of many coming out of this particular uh, tragedy, which seems to make new news every single day. When you look at the totality of what we are seeing here with the number of, I mean, there are enormous numbers of of lawsuits, Alex. I mean, how long are we looking at to get settlements in this, in this situation? So, so one quick correction on that. Um, Mm -hmm. You are required to state within the, within the lawsuit for instance, on behalf of Ezra and his family, um, that that a million dollars is the amount to have jurisdiction within that court. I can I can promise you one thing, that that Ezra's life and the way that that his lawyers, uh, the way we will um, proceed, is that it 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 is uncalculable to put a number on it. And, and, and you know, and I'll just tell you that it is a lot more than. 
than than a million dollars. But but I do know that within the lawsuit, you have to state that there is a million dollars to have a, a jurisdictional issue. But to answer your other question, this lawsuit is much bigger and unprecedented in so many ways because every single day I get off the phone with a client that in, even if they sustain physical injuries, severe physical injuries, they are first telling me that their main injury, what they can't seem to heal from is the psychological injuries, the mental trauma. And so right now, I would say that you know we're at the bottom of the first inning. As each day goes by, there are legitimate people that have had their entire worlds thrown upside down by this by this tragedy. And if they're, you know, from the from the injuries that are small as a sprained ankle, those may heal. But but the healing that comes from the mental and emotional suffering that so many thousands of people are going through, I think that there will be a uh, um, by the end of this, over 10,000 plaintiffs within this entire litigation Um, because every every single client is more heartbreaking of a story than the last one. Yeah, that that is an enormous number. Ten thousand. I was going to ask you if you had any idea of what we would be looking at. That's an enormous number, and and obviously, uh, Alex, when you're, you're dealing with that many cases, I think the one question I come uh, to is, does it make more sense to do one big class action, or uh, is it because everything has to be done separately because different injuries, uh, ultimately, some people died, um, plays a factor? I think in all of these. But these settlements are going to take a long time and, and, and also getting answers on the criminal side of this, if there was any criminal negligence here. What are we talking as far as timelines, not just for families or, or victims here to get some kind of, of um, you know, damages, but answers as to how this happened? And, and that's, that's a great question. And I get that question from clients and our attorneys discuss that question. And I will tell you this. Quickly, there will not be something where in two years, me and you are having the same discussion talking about the lengthiness and the waiting that is still going on. We are uh, every single day pursuing the fastest and, and the largest recovery that we can while still knowing that we're learning about how deep this goes every day. So w- when you ask the timeline, um, uh, you know, we're going to proceed on the most aggressive timeline that I think will ever have been tried in a case like this uh, with this many uh, plaintiffs that will be in the case. I think that within a year, there wow. will be a conclusion to at least the criminal side and, and, and if not the civil side as well, because this is a case that has uh, naturally and rightfully so, drawn so much public outrage about how careless these corporations were with people's lives. And that's something where if if we do end up going to trial on these cases, we're going to be in trial and have the entire world hear this story on a public scale, but we're not going to delay and we're not going to let these defendants delay. 
Yeah. I mean, and there is some expectation for people, especially when you get the big name brand corporations that are behind these festivals. There is some expectation that there's a professionalism or uh, a safety guidelines. I mean, you go into these things believing that the organizers have a plan. Uh, what seems to have happened here, and the allegations are that that the you know Scott that Scott Travis um, you know pushed his fans. It was kind of historically documented through things like tweets. You know, he liked the chaos. He liked fans to kind of come forward. I mean, there were really no rules going going to one of these shows, um, and, and so he has said he will work with the victims, with the victims' families, uh, with the investigations. I know a lot of that is a lawyer speaking. Um, and so how much resistance do you feel you're going to get in, in trying to get this thing solved or, or settled? And, I, and I, I know saying that, Alex, a lot of this is contingent on whether or not criminal charges are, are laid. So I, I don't think that there will be resistance in regard to Travis Scott's uh, uh, willingness to change and, and, and want to do right and want to do better. I don't think that we're going to get resistance from these corporations, Live Nation, the the promoters of this event, Score More is another promoter of this event because this is a a um, a case where every single client, if I ask them, what do you want this case to result in? Uh, they want healing, but they also want, in some tragic cases where they had a family member die, they say, I want my family member, my son, my daughter, my brothers life to mean something and that they are the last person that ever has to lose their lives when it was something as innocent as going to a concert where everybody assumes that safety is going to be, uh, uh, you know, that you're not going to lose your life at a concert. That's never something uh, that's a risk you assume. And so uh, I think that right now, every single party in this case, the, uh, my clients, the plaintiffs, as well as the corporations, we are calling on them to say that let's let's go hand in hand in changing how these concerts and festivals happen. Let's if we're going to talk settlement and, and numbers for, for for the restitution, fine. But but let's also decide as a collective that change is going to happen, and that's got to be part of it because the settlements aren't ever going to come unless there's a change. Uh, that is what we are standing up for. And that is what, uh, honestly, the clients never want this to ever for someone else to have to experience what they experience. No question about it. Uh, and Travis Scott, obviously, is the main um, uh, plaintiff who will be named on the suits. But Drake was also performing that night. And, he, of course, he's a very big name here, as you well know. Uh, ambassador to Toronto, the Raptors, and all the rest of it. Is he going to be named um, just because he was an entertainer at this particular venue in the, these suits as well? So, so, so Travis Scott is a named defendant in the suit. Obviously, he has a history of of inciting crowds. As the facts are revealed, uh, we're learning more about uh, how much each defendant was involved. Every single day, I get uh, I get new information about that. Drake was on stage. He is named as a defendant in a lot of the lawsuits. But again, we are in the bottom of the first inning. And, and I would say it's definitely too early for me to tell the level of culpability that, that maybe Drake did or did not have. But the thing is, is that 
if there was knowledge or, or, or they did know or saw what was going on. You know, they, they, number one, I will say this, the organizers and promoters knew before this concert even happened, that it was going to happen. And that's the criminal, that's the, that's the criminal scale that we're talking about. So that's, that's, that's the highest level of culpability that you can have, to have knowledge that people are going to get in a situation where they, uh, if, if you don't control it as the organizers, they will get hurt and killed. And to not yeah. adequately staff the concert or the medical personnel who were completely overrun. I mean, trying to give CPR to 13 people as, as one medical EMT ran through the concert and, and literally running between 13 people that did not have a pulse. So, so do I think Drake or Travis Scott knew the level of, of chaos and the level of hurt and killed people? The facts aren't there yet, but we will find out. And if they did know, we will hold them responsible. You know, this is no finger pointing game, as Travis Scott's lawyer is saying. This is a game of people were killed. Somebody needs to be held accountable and we will hold those people responsible. And and at the end of the day, my response to uh, Travis Scott's lawyer's comment of, you know, this is a game of finger pointing is that it's not a game. Because that word is offensive to to my clients, to the parents of my clients who lost, you know, their children. And so, um, when you have a microphone and there's a crowd of fifty thousand people, fifty-five thousand in this case, that's when you have to understand that you have the ability, you have a higher duty than just saying, "Well, I, I'm I'm the person singing. I, I'm not the person in charge of crowd control." or the engineer that set everything up, but you do have the microphone and the crowd is in your control. You can either let them go crazy or you can stop the show. Uh, And so that is the ultimate power. Do I think that things could have been prevented by the organizers, promoters, Live Nation and Scoremore? 1000% yes. It was an in the moment type situation for Travis Scott and Drake to make I don't know. It, it appears as of right now, they didn't make the right one because it, it, it appears based on the evidence that it would have been impossible that they did not know that this was a crowd that was killing people. Uh, the videos that we have obtained are um, that they, they, they bring a level of feeling to you that when you watch them, that is horrifying. And any... Yeah. Any, any uh, you know, artist seeing that, you have to shut down the show. Yeah. And, and certainly guys like Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters have stopped their shows in the past uh, when they saw that kind of thing happen. But it uh, has also happened at other shows where it did not. Alex, I very much appreciate your time on this. I will uh, hope to keep you on the Rolodex and have you back on again, because no question about it, this thing's not going away anytime soon. And certainly I predict that more cases will be added. So I, I appreciate you taking the time for us. It was an honor. And as this case unfolds, uh, I would love to come back and talk more about it. Thank you. Alex Hilliard joining us here. He is with Hilliard Martinez Gonzalez, uh, representing now 200 plaintiffs in 93 suits, including the little boy Ezra's case. Uh, Very, very tragic. So we'll keep uh, our eyes on that. Stay with us here, Alex Pearson on Point. This is Global News Radio.